God told us what he thinks. He wrote it down. And so we stand each and every week to be reminded of that. So let's read together from Luke chapter 7. We'll be reading verses 18 through 20 together. Here's how it reads. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, so um, before we jump into those verses together, I want to first um, ask the question of who is John the Baptist? I mean, who are we talking about? Well, John the Baptist was either the third or the fourth cousin, depends on which scholar you read, third or fourth cousin of Jesus. So they were distantly related to one another. John the Baptist was born six months older, six months before Jesus, and that's important because in that part of the world, a man was not allowed to speak, especially on religious matters publicly, um, until he had reached his 30th birthday. And so Jesus began his public ministry at 30, but John had already been out there preaching, had been declaring, had been preparing the way for Jesus six months before. Um, now, when we get to Luke chapter 7, we discover that John the Baptist is in jail. Um, in some of the verses just prior, John the Baptist has uh, cried out against the sins of King Herod, who was the king of the Jewish people at the time when Jesus was here on the earth. And King Herod um, had married his brother's wife, and John said, ooh, that's an icky thing. And so because he had said that, um, Herod threw him in jail for having done it. And so we find John the Baptist, he's in jail. Look again at Luke chapter 7, verse 18. Let's walk through these uh, here together. It says, John's disciples. Now, John had some people that were following him that were listening to his teachings. And some of these people, it says, John told, or they came and they told John about all of these things. Well, what things are we talking about? What are all of these things? Well, in the chapter just prior, in the verses just prior, we learned that Jesus brought a dead man back to life. That is, he resurrected a guy from the dead. And so John's followers thought, hey, this is a pretty miraculous thing. They went to John, who was in prison, and told him about this miraculous thing that Jesus had done, that he had brought a dead man back to life. And so while they were visiting with John, John sent two of them out, two of them, he says, calling two of his disciples, verse 19, he sent them to the Lord Jesus to ask a question. And here's the question that John sent the men to ask. It's a very peculiar question. Okay, you ready for this? Here's the question he asked. He sent, he sent them to ask Jesus, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Are you the one that we've been expecting? Are you the Messiah? Are you the deliverer? Are you the one that the Jewish people have hung their hopes on now for hundreds of years? Uh, God gave Abraham three promises in 2000 B.C. God told him, one, that he'd have so many descendants they would number the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. And sure enough, that happened. Uh, Abraham became the father of this Jewish nation. He also told Abraham that he would inherit the land, the promised land, the land that God promised him, which we know today as the land of Israel, which is about the size of, okay, my, my crew up here in the front of New Jersey, that's right, they know that, um, and so it's about how, how big it is, and so God promised him that land, and so again, check off that one, God had given that promise, well, the third promise that God gave Abraham, that out of his seed, one would come that would deliver the people from their sins, and so the Jewish people have been waiting for this great deliverer all of this time, and so he sends his disciples to ask Jesus the question, are you the one? that we've been looking for, or should we look for somebody else? And the reason that this is peculiar is because at Jesus' baptism, John declared, John chapter 1 and verse 29, 
uh, he said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He recognized when Jesus came walking out of the water, he shared to all the people there publicly. He said, look, here's the Messiah. Here's the Lamb of God. And so now some months later, just a couple months later, John's asking the question, are you that guy? Are you the one we're looking for or should we be looking for somebody else? Um, and so that leads us to ask, well, what changed in John's mind? What would lead him to want to ask that question? Why would John, who was so sure before, now be questioning his earlier conclusion? And so John sends some of his helpers with this inquiry, with this question, are you the person, Jesus? Are you the Messiah? Or should we be looking for somebody else? It's almost as though Jesus is not meeting up to John's expectations. John had certain expectations of who he thought Jesus was and what Jesus would do, and John, Jesus wasn't meeting up with those. And so John's kind of thrown off by this and wondering, Did, maybe I pointed out the wrong person. For example, um, John said of Jesus, Luke chapter 3 and verse 17, one of John's expectations, he said, His, referring to Jesus, winnowing fork in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, he will burn up. Is what he expects the Messiah to do. He expects Jesus to do. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That is, John expected Jesus to go in and point out to Herod that he was in sin. He expected Jesus to go in and remove the occupational Roman government from Israel and for Jesus to set up his reign and his rulership in Israel. He expected Jesus to go in and point out or separate out the unfaithful Israelites, basically to establish his reign and his rulership and justice back into the world. He expected Jesus to turn the world right side up again. And he's waiting. And he's waiting to the point that now he's going, well, maybe I had it wrong all this time. Uh, John's been in jail for months. Herod's still in power. The Romans are still in Jerusalem. The evildoers in Israel are still doing evil. And John is thrown off by this, wondering if Jesus is really the right person. Now, just to be fair, these expectations that John had are the expectations that the Jewish people had held uh, for many generations now, and they had gotten these expectations from the Bible. For example, Isaiah chapter 35, talking about the Messiah and what the Messiah will do. Isaiah 35 verse 4 says, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and with divine retribution, and he will save you. And so John's looking around at the world, and he's going, it seems to be the same kind of place as what it was a month or two ago. I mean, Jesus arrived on the scene. Where's all the vengeance? Where's all the turning the world right side up again? Where's the justice? Where's all that? Why isn't it happening? And so he's thinking, well, maybe Jesus is not the Messiah. Maybe he's not the one. He's not meeting my expectations of who I thought he would be. Next verse, Luke chapter 7, verse 20. So these disciples of John, they came to Jesus and said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, and here's the question again, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Verse 21, at that very moment, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. It's like Jesus said, boom, 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 hey, hey guys, y'all just asked me that question here, let's just have a little healing service going on here. You know, lame guy walk, blind person be able to see, deaf guy be able to hear, uh, leprosy, it's gone, got a broke leg, hey, that's healed. And so Jesus just goes down the line, and he's healing all these people, just as like a rapid fire healing, miracles going on. And so then he turns to these guys that came to ask Jesus this question from John, and he says to them, verse 22, go back to John, who's in prison, and report to him what you have seen and what you have heard. 
The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And also tell him, and here's the key to the whole thing, verse 23, also tell him, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Now you say, I got why Jesus performed the miracles. You know, John was needing some reassurance, right? John was in a little bit of doubt. Um, and so Jesus performs these miracles to, re- to, to let John know, hey, look, dial it down, fella, right? You got the right guy. I'm the guy. And so he performs these miracles so they can go back and tell John, hey, look, no doubt about it. We've got the right guy here. Um, but then he says this thing here in verse 23, and you say, well, kind of lost me there. On that, And so let me read it to you again, verse 23, and we'll get at what Jesus means here in a moment. Jesus said, verse 23, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. You say, what exactly does Jesus mean by that statement? Because it's really the whole passage hangs on that statement. Well, Jesus is saying to John, and he's saying to us too, that just because he does not meet our expectations should not be a cause for us to abandon God. Just because God does not uh, fulfill all of our expectations does not mean that we should waffle. Jesus says, blessed, that is, that person is, is, is in the, actually in the, in the Greek language, the word happy, you can put the word happy in there. It's the same thing as the Beatitudes where it says, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are hungry and thirst after righteousness, blessed is the peacemaker. It's a statement of happy, happiness, because this person is blessed by God, favored by God. Blessed is the person who uh, does not fall away. That is, they don't abandon God. They don't, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They don't uh, go down into the toilet of doubt and skepticism and begin to just um, reject God. So blessed is the man who does not fall away, he says, on account of me. That is, because I don't meet up to your expectations. So blessed or happy is the person who does not reject God, who does not fall away from God, just because God's not meeting your and my needs the way we think he should. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 8 says it this way. For my, that is God's thoughts, are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. Jesus is teaching John here that God's ways are higher than our ways, that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that God sees the broader, bigger picture of what's going on in the world. And so John's role then is to submit to what God is doing rather than question what God is doing. Okay. That's as far as we want to go with our text for today, and so that means it's time for us to ask that question that we ask each and every week around here, which is, what difference does this make to my life? You say, hey, that's really great for John. I appreciate that. You know, God, Jesus kind of straightened him out there a little bit. Uh, John was having a moment of doubt, and that's, that's good to see that he, I'm not the only one. But, uh, I mean, that was between John and Jesus. What difference does that make? What, what does that have to do with my life? Well, that's a really great question. Let's talk about that. You know, all of us have certain expectations of God. And our expectations of God sound something like this. God, my career and my business should thrive. Expectation number one, right? Another of the expectations that we have of God is, God, I, I should never get sick. And for some reason, if I do get sick, then I should be like better right away. I should be able to get over my cold faster than the guy, the chump at work, right? Uh, another expectation that we have is, God, you should never let anything bad happen to me or to my family. 
Another expectation that we have of God is that, God, my car should go 200,000 miles and should never have any maintenance issues whatsoever, right? That's an expectation that we have of God. And number five, should God should rescue me with impunity from all the dumb decisions that I ever make in my life, right? Well, how'd that work out? It didn't, right? Because that's not reality. That's, that's, like, like, that's a far-fetched uh, version of our life. It's not reality. Uh, we want God to free us from sadness. We want God to free us from suffering. We want God to free us from uncertainty. And as we all know, those expectations are not uh, realistic. Why? Because God's way of running things and doing things is different than our way. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9 says it this way. In his heart, a man plan, makes, plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. That is, we have our idea of how our life should go. But the way it actually runs is how the Lord orders our steps. You know, the Bible's full of example of after example after example, verse after verse after verse of people who were in exactly this scenario. God told Joseph, remember Joseph from the Old Testament? God told Joseph that his 11 older brothers were going to bow down to him. We're going to hold him in high regard and in high esteem. Well, that was the promise that God made to Joseph, but I bet Joseph never figured how God was going to get Joseph to the point where his older brothers were going to hold him in such high esteem. He never bet on the fact that his brothers were going to uh, throw him in a well, uh, tell her dad that he had died, sell him off into slavery, spend seven years of his, no, 13 years of his life in prison. Let me double check my notes. 13 years of his life in prison, only then to be brought up as the prime minister of the land of Egypt and for that promise to be fulfilled. I bet when God told Joseph that promise, Joseph wasn't thinking, that's the circuitous path that I'm going to have to follow to get that promise fulfilled. How about Moses? The Bible says that Moses, God told him that he would lead the Israelites out of bondage, that he would lead them out of slavery. Um, and Moses said, hey, that's a really great idea. I got a plan on how we can accomplish that, God. And so he saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating one of the Israelite slaves. And he went over and he took out the Egyptian uh, taskmaster and he murdered this guy. And then he ended up for 40 years. He got kicked out of Pharaoh's, house, uh, Pharaoh's palace. He got kicked out of Egypt. And he spent 40 years on the backside of the desert uh, living a nomad's existence. And then he went and finally came back and led the Jewish people out of bondage. And they spent 40 more years out in the desert. I bet that's not how Moses thought it was going to go down when God said, hey, you're going to lead these people out of slavery. How about David? David, through the prophet Samuel, God announced to David that he would be the next king of Israel. You are going to be the next king of Israel. And David's got illusions of grandeur, right? He's thinking, oh, this is going to be great. Okay, when is it going to happen? Next week we're going to do the royal ceremony, or when is this going to happen? Well, David spent seven years running away as an outlaw with uh, King Saul hot on his tail. I bet David, when God told him he would be the next king of Israel, never expected that that's the circuitous route that he'd have to follow to get to the place where God had uh, made the promise. And finally, what about our friend the Apostle Paul? He wrote to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 15 and verse 28. He wrote them in a letter. He said, I will go to Spain, which is further west than Rome, and I will visit you on the way. So on my way to Spain, these are my plans, Paul says, on my way to Spain, I will stop over and I will spend time with you there in Rome. I'm so excited about being able to come and see you. Uh, Paul did eventually get to Rome, but Paul didn't come by, as a free man. Paul came in chains so that he could stand before Caesar and have his trial before Caesar. He spent three years in jail, had his trial before Caesar, and had his head cut off, never did make it to Spain. 
Uh, but here's what I love what Paul wrote uh, to, uh, to, from Rome in chains to the church in Philippi. Here's what he said, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. He said, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul realized that although he had plans of coming to Rome and then traveling on to Spain and sharing the gospel there in Spain, that God's plans for Paul and for his life were way better than any plan that Paul could have um, anticipated or made for himself. You know, whenever we look back on God's way versus our way of doing things, God's way is always better, which is why Jesus said, Luke chapter 7 and verse 23, blessed is the man who does not fall away, who doesn't stop trusting, who doesn't abandon God just because God's doing things in a way that we either don't understand or we don't like or wasn't what we wanted. Let me say that many of us here today probably have some difficulties going on in our lives, some uncertainties going on in our lives, and we're asking God, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? What's happening here? Why is this happening? We have things in our life that are not going the way we expected. We have things in our life that we simply don't understand. In fact, we have things in our life that, quite frankly, we don't want going on in our life because we don't like them. And we wish that God would stop or deliver us or something, something different than what's happening right now. And as we look at our situation and we're kind of bogged down in our situation, it gets a little upsetting because we're going, God, I got expectations. I mean, I'm praying, I attend church, I read my Bible, I'm doing all the things, God, that I would think I would need to do. And yet the situation just continues. And in response, what we've learned from God's word today is, number one, Isaiah 55 and verse 8, that God's ways are higher than our ways, that his thoughts are greater and higher than our thoughts. And that when God has a, God has a plan for our life and he's executed on that plan for our life, and that it's so much better, it's far greater, like for Paul, like for Joseph, like for David, like for Moses, than we could ever um, conjure on our own and number two we've learned that our job is to walk by faith that our job is to continue to be committed to the Lord not to fall away because things aren't going the way we expected them to go that means committing ourselves to trusting in God committing ourselves to him and even when we don't understand what he's doing or even why he's doing it that mean that's what it means to walk by faith you say Gordon that's really a great thing to say but it's not quite so easy to execute on. It's not quite so easy to live out. Trusting God, especially when you're in the middle of the storm, especially when things aren't going the way we want them to, especially when people are saying hurtful things, when we're confused about why God prolongs our suffering, it's like it's really hard to keep trusting in God. It's really difficult to not question him and to not get upset with him. And you know what? You're right. It is a difficult thing. I won't steal that away from you. Joseph, I'm sure, had many nights where he said, God, what are you doing 13 years in prison? Paul probably had many nights in a cold jail cell with cold steel on his arms. God, what are you doing here? What is the purpose of all this? You know, Job in the Old Testament, he faced the same dilemma. Job lost his animals. Job lost his farm. Job lost his wealth. Job's children died. Job had a horrible year. 
I mean, the worst of the worst. And uh, here's what Job said. Job chapter 1 and verse 21. The Lord gave, he gave me wealth, he gave me all these children, he gave me a home, he gave me a farm, he gave me all these animals. The Lord gave, and the Lord stole away or took away. You know, sometimes he says God does it the way I expect. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes God does things the way I want, and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes God does things the way I like it. Sometimes he doesn't. And then Job says, in either case, in either case, may the name of the Lord be praised. May the name of the Lord be praised. And then he says, verse 22, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Friends, that's what it means to respond properly and biblically to our circumstances in life. So here's my challenge just this morning. If you're going through some tough times, if God is doing some things in your life that you don't understand, if things are just not going the way you want, then you've got two choices. You can either continue to trust God, not fall away, blessed is that man, or you can choose to fall into doubt and skepticism and reject the Lord your God. Blessed is the man who does not fall away when he doesn't understand what God is doing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for talking to us today from your word. Uh, These are truths, Lord, that pierce our situations in life, whether it be work-related, family-related, health-related, whatever it may be. May we, like Joseph, may we, like Moses, may we like Paul, like David, like all of the heroes of Scripture, trust you even when the circumstances around us say, just reject God. Lord, may we recognize that that's the voice of the devil, that that's the voice of the evil one trying to steal us away from the most vibrant, most needed relationship in our life. Thank you for your words this morning, Lord. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of not understanding what you're doing. Again this morning, Lord, we commit ourselves wholeheartedly to you. You have our lives. They are in your hands. Lord, as we gather around this table, we're reminded of Christ's death on the cross, of his shed blood, of his broken body. And we're thankful, Lord, for the hope that we have in Jesus of eternal life through you. We pray these things in Christ's holy name.